When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. I got back last week after a trip out to Chicago to visit Fabtech, and it was wild. I got to see so many awesome people and got to meet lots of you listening out there, and it meant a lot. And that's just the magic of going to Fabtech. I was running around the whole time checking out booths and recording some podcasts, and we'll be dropping them over the next few months, but wanted to kick it off with a back-to-back chat from the Aesop booth. First, I'm talking with John Hartnett, who's on their filler metals team, and we talk about filler metal selection and how they're made. Then I chat with Chris Sherm about their new ruffian and some tips on running your plasma cutter as well. We dive in after a quick word from our sponsors. When it comes to welding, most people think the danger lies in the fire and electricity. But what you learn fast when you strike up and get a whiff of fumes is how terrible those can make you feel, especially after a long day of work. Welding creates fumes that can be hazardous and you need them out of the way. Luckily, Donaldson has come up with some cool stuff to help welders. They make fume extraction equipment for major fabricators, smaller shops, and everything in between. They've been around for more than a hundred years, so they know what they're doing. Weld fumes are no joke, so learn how to protect yourself. Head over to Donaldson.com to check out their stuff. You'll be glad you did. Do you want to introduce yourself to the audience and what you do here at ESOP? Yeah. Hey, guys. My name is John Hartnett, and I am the product manager for our Cordwire group within the filler metal team at ESOP. So pretty much what I'm responsible for is new product development for flux cord wire, new products for subarc wire and flux, but I also get involved in our electrodes and our solid wire products as well. Okay. And so when it comes to filler metals, what makes them different? Like, why do you want to choose one type of filler metal compared to another one? What are things that they add? One of the things that we start with is what type of process are you wanting to do? You know, do you have a regular MIG machine and you got your 7525 shielding gas? You know, then you we're going to look at solid wire applications, solid wire options. So within that, you have S2, S3, S6. And what those S numbers mean is the different chemistries that we put actually in the steel itself. So for an S2 example, you're going to see a product that solidifies a little bit faster. It has more oxidation. We, there's some titanium, some aluminum, some zirconium that go into those products that really give you a different weld than, let's say, an S6. An S6 product, you see them all over the place. Most commonly used filler metal in the industry. And you're going to see a very fluid puddle. It's kind of general purpose, I guess you could say. But anything from a tractor trailer to a pressure vessel uses S6 products. That's kind of like the general stuff when we talk about make. Well, then you get into my products that are near to me, our flux core line. The flux core wire comes in three different categories. You have metal core, which is a strip of steel, and we put a bunch of iron powder in it. It's going to act like an S6 product or an S3 product. It's going to have a very similar chemistry, but it's a fabricated product. Then you're going to have gas-shielded flux core wires, where same process from a manufacturing standpoint, but now you're going to see a slag system over the top. So if you've done electrode welding, uh, stick shielded metal arc welding, 
that 7018 or 6011 or 6010 has, has that slag, the gas-shielded flux core wires are going to have that same thing. The benefit there is now I can go out of position, I can do vertical up, I can weld overhead, I can weld flat, I can also decrease my cost of my shielding gas by using straight CO2. So, I mean, we've done a lot of different things in that realm to make the, make I call it the foo-foo dust, make the foo-foo dust inside <laughs> uh, weld for the application, depending on your shielding gas. That's cool. So then the third category is self-shielded products. Now, if you go to a tractor supply or a Home Depot or a Northern Tool, you're going to see a lot of 71T11 products, and those are self-shielded. They do not require ex external shielding gases. So, uh, supposedly. Supposedly. They're not supposed... Actually, if you do, you're going to cause all sorts of problems. Really? Yes. So a 71T11, O30, O35, you use it on electrode negative as opposed to electrode positive with a gas-shielded flux core product. What that means is now I can do wire welding outside on a small 110 machine. Uh, we actually have some things in our booth that they go down to, you know, 030, plug it into a 110 volt. I actually have one at my house that I use. I just nice. plug it into my wall outlet. Yeah. Uh, so I don't need shielding gas with it. And I can weld on my muffler or uh, fence post or something like that. But then you get into more industrial grade products like uh, Core Shield 8 for us. It's a T8. Large diameters, higher amperages. Actually, the Freedom Tower used Core Shield 6 and Core Shield 8, some of our products. So, uh, oh, really? You know, a cheap plug there hey, for, uh, for ESOB. Yeah, um, yes. But yeah, I'll take it. And that's just a couple of categories. We haven't even talked about electrodes, subarc wire and flux. It, it goes on and on. Well, it's a really, like, there's a lot of misconceptions out there, like, especially in the flux core world, you know? Th like, there is. Most people, they're like, I, they pick up like a Harbor Freight machine and they're just like running it because it's like, I don't need gas. I don't need nothing, you know? And then they just are under the impression that's what flux cord is like, you know? Yeah. And, I, and, and just dirty, you know? It's like, but it's really interesting because I'm newer to the welding world and like learning all of this stuff is, but I've been a musician, you know? It's like, I can okay. tell you about all kinds of different guitar strings, there you, you know? Go. It's like, but when we get talking about filler metals, that's different. And I'm sure know? all guitar strings do different things. They do. And it's the same thing with filler coatings. metals. You have nickel ones. So you there have you go. Phosphor bronze, you know? And there's no different when it comes to filler metal. Yeah. You know, really, we make a filler metal for everything under the sun. There's really nothing that I can think of that we don't make a filler metal for. Yeah. Now, I say that in general <laughs> because there's also especially alloys, or special metal manufacturers that do things that we don't get involved with. Yeah. But when it comes to your day-to-day -day general welding, whether you're an automotive manufacturer, pressure vessel manufacturer, oil and gas, we have a product for you. Yeah. And not only that, we have the expertise to go and help you pick and select the right filler metal. So how do you help people? Like, is there like an automated way that people could go and like be like, okay, I have this job I'm trying to do. So it can Plug be pretty basic. In. Yeah, it can be pretty basic down to uh, like in our, we have a thing called the filler metal data book. It's about a one inch thick book and it has all the different types of steels that are in the back. So for that, it can be as simple as this is my steel. This is the process that I want to do, whether it's, you know, I want to do stick welding and I have 572 grade 50. Well, we can tell you just based on the steel, what would be the best stick electrode to pick for that? Or what would be the best flux core wire to pick for that? But then you start talking to our welding engineers, our filler metal experts, and they're going to start taking you down a, down a road of, okay, what's your joint design? What's your setup? What's your machine capability? How do you want to weld this? And all those help us go into creating a solution for you, not just, oh yeah, use this filler metal on that steel. It can be that simple. But that doesn't mean it's always the best for you. I mean, that's great that there's resources, you know. I feel like that's 
people have a hard time understanding everyone wants to help. You know, it's yeah. like if you're having a hard time or you have a question, like you can ask. Oh, like, I, I, I can't love find having, it online. I love it. I, I love I had a guy yesterday come up in the booth and he was having problems with actually Core Shield 8. And he was saying, yeah, I got on these certain applications, I sometimes get porosity. And we were going over technique and we were looking at stick out and the effects of that. And all those come into play depending on the type of welding you're doing. Yeah. You know, whether I'm doing uh, 71 T11 outside on some little thin gauge, I'm going to weld it one way. Or if I'm going inside and I have a dual shield 7100 Ultra with the shielding gas, I'm going to weld that a different way yeah. with a different technique. And all those things, in my opinion, sometimes get lost. And it's, well, welding is welding. If it doesn't work, that means the system's broken. Yeah. Well, yep. yep. The engineer. Gotta yeah. blame the engineer, right? <laughs> You know, if if I can't drive a standard because I'm grinding the gears, it doesn't mean the standard's bad. It yeah. means maybe I'm not doing something right. Yeah, it might just be and I user love helping error. people. Yeah. I, I mean, more people that come up and say, "Hey, John, can you help me with this or help me with that?" Or that's what we live for here. I mean, we really do. There's a group of five of us that are here today just to help answer questions. Yeah, no, they were like, "Our filler metal team is here." And yeah. I was like, I was like, "Dang, you got like a whole." It's not just you. No, you get, it's not just me. I mean, from stainless to hard facing with our studio specialists. I mean, we're here to to help. We even have one of our research engineers here. I saw him walking around. So this might be a dumb question. Jake, there there but, are no dumb questions. Believe me. All right. So when <laughs> I when they're making the wire, I just this is one thing I just don't understand. I know they're stretching and everything, but like, how are they adding all these different alloys in? So you know, it's in the fufu dust. It's in the fufu dust. It's in the fufu dust, man. It's in the fufu dust. So. In our cord wire line, it all starts as flat strip. So we actually take flat strip, we run it through a folding, pretty much a folding device that makes a U, and we dump all this powder. And all the different products we have have a different mix of powder. And the funny thing is, is in our facility, none of the powders have the name on them. It just has a number. Because oh, we don't want anybody to know what we put in it. Ah, and, and that's how everybody is. It's kind of like, smart. you know, Coke has their recipe. Oh, Pepsi yeah. has their recipe. Can't come back and see yeah. it. You ours, can buy ours have ours. That's crazy. So we'll put, you know, we'll put, you know, ferrochrome in some products to give it these or put some molly to give it a different property. We add nickel to maybe we need to give it strength or something like that. And so all that goes on in the mixing process that then gets dropped down into the the actual strip while it's being manufactured. So it goes through the flat strip, gets bent into a U. We have a conveyor system that puts the code material in, the foo-foo dust. It closes it up, and then it goes through a whole long drawing process. And it, you know, can get drawn down from anywhere 564, 332nd, 116th, all the way down to 030. And it is quite an interesting process. Do you know much about stick electrodes? I know enough, I think, maybe. Okay. <laughs> on the flux side of it, like the coatings. So it's the same process. They have a mix. So our Atomark 7018, we have a certain mix that we make. Now, the difference is that actually goes and gets pressed into a mold. The mold then is placed into a, a conveyor system where it has all of our pretty much code rods, core wire. And it gets cut, and then it shoots through this pressed mold. And when it comes out the other side, it has all the flux coated on it. Which is good. Which is, that's... I mean, and it's just, it's just flying. If you ever get an opportunity to go to our Hanover facility, yeah. it's quite impressive to see how fast these sticks are getting coated. Where, goes, is, where is that? Hanover, He's, Pennsylvania. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I might have to make I mean, my you can, way up You there, can man. see flux core wire being made. You can see sub flux being made. You can see 
She's like electrodes being made. We make stainless wire there as well. I mean, it's a place that you can see a lot of different manufacturing processes all under one roof. And so here's a question from being coming from weld.com. Do you weld? Do I weld? Yeah. Are you a welder as well? I have the ability to weld. Well, then there you go. <laughs> then you're a welder, Do I weld? Um, I, I actually love doing it in my spare time. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, I got a truck a year ago, and I wanted to put a new muffler on it. So I did all that myself. I oh, pulled out my ESAB welder, used some of our solid wire, and uh, yeah, welded up my own muffler. I actually did some work for my parents. Nice. So yeah, I, uh, I, I enjoy doing it. It's fun, but I'm more of a mechanical type guy than... Anything else? So you're not going to be uh, making a career change, and you didn't just like fall in love with it. <laughs> it uh, like I, I like doing it when I when, when I am determining when I do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's. I mean, a lot of people are like that too. Like, cause that's a uh, me coming from the outside of the welding world and then getting into it, and like, I mean, I do a lot of like custom fabrication stuff. But there's a lot of hobbyists out there. There's a lot of people that want to get into welding. They want to dabble in welding, and it kind of seems like there's this kind of barrier, like this barrier in the welding world where it's like, if you like welding, that makes you a welder. Like if you learn how job. to weld, but then there's like, everyone has this kind of like stigma of like, I wouldn't say I'm a welder, but <laughs> I was like, well, if you know how to weld, you're a welder. You yeah. Know? It's like, you still could do it. So I, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, home hobbyists, we talk farmers, ranchers. I mean, if you can make a bead, you're a welder, you can weld. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's no barrier. But I think there's also, there's a pride thing. Yeah. You know, there's a big pride thing, you know, when you're a welder and that's your profession. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've talked to them. They take their work very seriously. And it's a a fun thing to be a part of, especially when you're, when you help them get better and, you know, you see a project that they've accomplished because of it. And, uh, you know, anything from wind towers, you know, seeing wind towers get produced to, uh, you know, qualifying some guys. I did some qualification work and they were just making some antennas, this little radio antennas, nothing, nothing big, nothing fancy, but they had just as much pride making their antennas as those guys making those wind towers. It's funny. Like I went through welding school and like when I went through school, I, I felt so cool. Like I was just like, I'm a badass now. It's well, like, yeah. I, I thought I was cool, but then, then I learned how to weld. And then I was like, I'm really cool now. Welders are hardcore people. They like, are. They're hardcore. They, they party are. hard. They work hard. And they're just, it's fun to be around them. But that, from like the industry side, that's what I always wonder about. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, cause a lot of people in your shoes are, would say the same thing where there's like, I'm, I'm not a welder, but <laughs> I know how to weld, you know? Yeah. I, ne- I never want to take away from what people are really, really good at. Yeah. You know, hey, and then you're really, really good at knowing filler metals. That's, that's you know? my job. That's, that's, that's my thing. How did you get into that? Well, you know, sometimes you just fall into things. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what happened to me. I was <laughs> uh, I was out of college for about four years working for a uh, an industrial company, and I wanted to do something different. I know I wanted to do something that gave me the opportunity to specialize in something. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be a jack of all trades, as they say. I really wanted to know something kind of narrow and deep. And I got a phone call from ESOB out of the blue. And when inter- interviewed with them, and actually, uh, the guy that hired me 15 years ago was here walking hey. around the booth sometime. And uh, I-, I started as a sales rep in Central Texas and did that for a number of years. And 
was fortunate enough to call in a lot of the oil and gas market. And I became a, a strategic account manager calling on uh, offshore fabricators, and then kind of just worked my way up through the company. And, and now uh, left the sales world about two years ago and moved over to product management. I've had the opportunity to learn a whole lot from a lot of really good people. That's awesome. Uh, throughout I mean, my you time can't, here. You can't ask for something better at a job. I, if you're not learning and you're not progressing, I hate jobs where I just have to sit there and be bored out of my mind. You know, it's like if you're always trying to like push your company to that innovation, like we want to keep toes on the on the edge of innovation. Yes. You know, it's like you can't be bored. Yeah. And we're, I mean, always listening to our customers and find out, hey, what are you what's going on in the industry now? What are, what are, what are we seeing? And then, you know, also looking at what we're doing as a manufacturer. You know, are we on the cutting edge of product? When was the last new product that we came out with? You know, and how did it help the industry? How did it help the welder? How did it help the fabricator? And so that's what we're constantly doing from coming out with a, we're going to be releasing a new electrode here soon uh, that gives you a better arc stability. We are going to have a better flex core wire that reduces some manganese content. We got some great aluminum products that reduce buildup in your liners. So all these small things matter. And, you know, that's what we at ESOP, that's what we try to deliver. So it's been a great talk. You were like, I don't want to be on podcast. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm a super bro. Yeah. yeah like that yeah. was great, man. No, that was super great. Yeah. It was fun. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you tired of carrying multiple pieces of equipment on your service truck? Lincoln Electric has introduced the solution, the Ranger Air 260 MPX. This multifunction engine drive combines an air compressor, generator, battery charger, battery jump starter, and multi-process welder in one compact device, specifically designed for the unpredictable circumstances and job demands of the work truck industry. But that's not all. The Ranger Air 260 MPX is also designed to provide a lower cost of ownership with features such as auto stop-start technology and an electronic throttle body engine with variable engine speed. Don't miss out on this versatile and reliable machine that can handle any demanding job site. Visit www.lincolnelectric.com for more information on the Ranger Air 260 MPX available later this year and save space on your truck for other tools and gear with this compact power horse. First, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. So Chris Sherm, Global Product Director for Light Industrial Manual Plasma and Engine Driven Welders for ESOF. Hey, that engine's brand new this year, right? This the ruffian's yeah, the, the first ruffian's one. brand new this year. We launched it uh, at the beginning of 2023. Uh, it's doing great. Yeah. Uh, we're selling a lot of those. Uh, there's there's been a lot of demand for it in unique places that maybe we didn't even think about in the beginning. How um, so? Like what what high, kind of places? High rise buildings was one. Uh, I was like, what? And uh, what's easy about it is because they can push it on the service elevators and because it's so lightweight and the wheelbarrow style wheel kit that's included with it, they can wheel it right onto those wheel onto any floor that they need to. That's pretty smart. It turned out to be quite an advantageous usage of that unit since it's so small and lightweight and easy to push around. Well, and you all have been part, like speaking of partnerships and like working with other people, the Volt. You're partnered with the wall, but the ruffian it has the the Kohler. Yeah, the Kohler engine in yes. there. Yeah. How did that how is that partnership? 
So Kohler, we we did look at lots of different engines in the market for this because that was a, a fresh start for us in the engine-driven market. Yeah. So we looked at Honda, looked at Kohler, looked at Briggs and Stratton, and uh, especially in North America, but even globally, Kohler is top of the line and they have the largest network of service centers. So should anybody need help with anything from spark plugs to air filters to oil changes or whatever, right? You're good to go. And they've, they've just in North America alone, they had over 3000 branches. So that's huge. Uh, so not only do we want to provide a quality product, but also just have the service and support for the longevity of that product. Nice. So switching gears to the old plasma side, mm-hmm. did specifically just a plasma cutter, do you have any machines that do multiple different things? So plasma, what people forget about often is plasma can do gouging as well. So plasma cutting and gouging, but we do have consumables that allow for both. And so in the entire light industrial range from 30 amps to 70 amps, you can both cut and gouge. So we have products in the 30, 40, 50, and 70 amp range that are all going to be brand new in a new, we call it the Renegade style housing, but the Renegade was the original multi-handled, small, yeah. light, compact that, that's well, well tested. Huge amount of VOC work, voice of the customer work that we did with that. The plastics are very, very durable, high impact resistance, et cetera. And then it has that beautiful TFT screen in the front of it. So... We knew we wanted to transition to that for our light industrial plasma family as well. So we started with the 40, went down to the 30, and now we're adding the 50 and 70 come uh, January and February. Do any of them have onboard air? None of them have onboard air, but uh, without tipping my hat too much, we are working on some options for that uh, in light industrial. So that's like um, my big thing is like onboard air is needed. But at the same time, like the air compressor industry has actually gotten pretty good at making small, light, compact, very cost-effective and lightweight. And quiet. Um, and quiet, right. <laughs> yeah. Very quiet. <laughs> like that was the thing that blew my mind. <laughs> my newest compressor I just bought just for doing little jobs around the house, no lies, like 12 pounds. It's not a pancake style. It's still a barreled uh, compressor like style, yeah. but it's only like 12 pounds. And so I could carry that to any job site or anything that I'm working on around the house, plug it into 110, do the little six or eight inch cut that I need to do and move on. Yeah. So I want to keep that type of mentality when I'm bringing combined air to that family. So again, without tipping my hat too yeah. much. I can't uh, give anything away. Right. I'd, uh, it's coming. So I have, I have that in the R&D budget. I'm working on that. It's going to be really, really cool. So maybe, just maybe. Well, keep me in mind. Okay, man. I will. I will. <laughs> so next year this time, we'll, we'll be much closer to something that's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. As far as plasma, so one of the most difficult, we're talking about air. How, how big of a problem is not filtering your air? When you're using a plasma cutter? It can be all of our plasmas, but especially our new lineup, the light industrial lineup from 30 to 70, all have a built-in filter regulator with the official like bulb style with the cartridge style that that goes in there. And so it's going to filter out moisture, oil, and particulate down to less than a micron. So, I mean, it's, it's taking care of it. That's like my biggest set peeve yes. about is like having to run it through filter and a dryer. And then into the machine right. that and what, also has a filter. What people know. don't know is you can actually over-filter the air, right? And and what I mean by that is you could cut your flow rate down too much. Yeah. So if you had a uh, air compressor 
And then you put a filter outside of that. Then you put another filter on the backside of your plasma. And then the plasma itself also has a filter. Well, if you start out at 90 PSI, you're going to be at like 70 PSI by the time you get to the plasma. And pressure is one half of the equation. The yes. other half is flow rates. So you might've started off with seven CFM, but then you went to six, five or four or three, right? You, you could really cut that down. And then if you also put a small hose on it, that's another choke point. Yeah. Next thing you know, your plasma's not cutting right. So what you said about is your air important? Yes, on multiple levels, right? So quality air helps your parts last longer. So if I can prevent the water and oil and contaminants from getting to your tips, that saves on your consumable life. So I am doing that inside the machine. So inside yeah. the machine, I'm already filtering moisture, oil, particulate. Your flow rate and pressure is an important piece of it. And so you want to make sure your hoses are large enough, your compressor can put out the pressure and flow rate you need, but also that you're not over, over filtering yeah. <laughs> yeah, and causing yourself like, problems. Well, yeah, I, I, that was one thing I ran into where I was like, I had a filter into an air dryer and then I went into another regulator yeah, so no, then no. I could... I could try to control it, you know, but yeah, you could, you could wind up causing yourself some problems and what'll happen, you want, it'll, the plasma will still work, right? It'll turn on, it'll cut, but it's like, it's like, it doesn't cut like yeah, it it's should. Like, something's weird. Something's it's not like, something's, right. So right? is this the way it's supposed to be? Right. Yeah. And when you're not getting to the bottom of a cut, and especially if it's something like quarter inch, three eighths, you're like, dude, uh, even my 30 amp can do three eighths of an inch. Yeah. Right. When it's not cutting it, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Some. What did I do in my setup that's not quite right, right? So that's worth checking. One feature we put into the machines is the drain at the bottom of that filter bulb also auto drains. So oh, it nice. doesn't collect and hold water. It will actually spit out water should it get oversaturated. So if you find that your plasma is draining onto the ground underneath it and you're seeing a pool of water, now you want to look at maintenance. You haven't hurt the plasma but you do want to look at maintenance on your air compressor and say, hey, am I am I draining my air compressor? I went to an account years ago. Oh, my God. Dude, 50-gallon ga 50, <laughs> 50 air compressor and no light. It had to be 30 gallons of water in oh, it, it's right? It's like, yeah, this They'd thing, never like, drained I it. never have air in this thing. Right, I don't exactly. know why. Oh, what's wrong? The thing runs and runs and runs. Yeah, <laughs> you you don't have a tank anymore. You've yeah. got a tank of water is what you got. Yeah, and thin walls now. Yes. Because they, you rusted <laughs> it out, man. <laughs> Well, that is some nasty water on the inside. If it's been sitting that long, you know that's not going to be good. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, I, and stained driveways across right. America, you know. <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, I love plasma cutting. Like, it, it's fascinating to me, and it's just fun. You know, it's way more fun. It's a game-changing technology. Yeah. What's amazing to me is how many people, I grew up oxy-fuel cutting. I, yeah. I, I'm, an, I'm a torch guy. That said, like, the first time I touched plasma, you're I like, mean, you're like, whoa, are you serious? Like my cut speeds now are like four times what they are in oxy fuel for everything under quarter of an inch. Yeah. And if you speed your cut up, you put less heat into the material. So now my material's not warping, right? So you think about cars, you think about doing tractor repair, you think about building and trades, right? For me, I'm also a car guy. So like you should not touch your car with an oxy fuel torch if you're doing that you're committing a grave sin in my opinion yeah right because you're going to create other problems you're going to warp the frame you're going to warp the fender now you got to fix it you got to bondo it you got to 
God forbid you do that too, right? Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, put that right? good old Bondo on there. Right? It's strong. So, so don't create more problems. The technology's available today. And by the way, the cost has come way down. And the cost of oxy-fuel gases have gone way up. Yeah. no, right? <laughs> So it doesn't take long to pay for a plasma cutter anymore, right? So the 30 amp, like what have we, uh, what, what kind of price range are you in there? So this is a personal question. <laughs> yes. So pricing and in everything in the market has gone crazy. Yeah. Inflation, you name it, supply chain. I don't care what it is. It's gone nutso. Yeah. So we wanted with this light industrial lineup to kind of reset the market pricing a little bit. And so we lowered it a lot. So we went from about $1,800 on the 30 amp range. We're less than that at a map price, which is what your distributors will sell it at, at $1,399. Hell yeah. Yeah, right? That's awesome. Great. So a little bit of a market reset. The 40 amp, which was t traditionally close to $2,000 or more, is now at $1,799. And we haven't officially released the price yet on 50 or 70, but you can guarantee we're going to follow that same kind of trend. That's we're going We're going to be lower to the market, offering more value for your money. And then I'm also offering way more consumables in the box to get started. Cutting consumables, oh, gouging go. consumables, and shielded and unshielded with the retaining caps, shield caps, everything you need so that you can really try everything that the system's capable of doing. Yeah, I mean, because that's a big thing with plasma. Most people just think cut, you know, it's yeah. like, I'm just going to drag and cut it, you know, but it's like, or right. am I going to do yep. intermittent cuts? Or am I going to do, you know, there's so many capabilities these days and it's just... Like across the entire industry, like it doesn't matter what you're selling or what you're producing, communication sucks in yes. the welding world. And it's just like trying to educate. Yeah. You, you've helped a lot, by the way. Well, so, thank you. <laughs> right. So doing things like this really help get the word out on yeah. it's not our grandfather's or our father's father's welding world anymore. Yeah. Saint your daddy's right. welding world. What I value about them though is the skills and the techniques so if you carry forward some of the techniques that our grandfathers used fixturing we struggle today in yeah. this world with fixturing but our grandfathers didn't as much right they thought outside the box in a lot of different ways and you see clamps that just don't even make sense they're like wait, wait a minute where's <laughs> that why is that in the garage no it's for using this oh i didn't even see that right so they had to be creative in different ways because the technology wasn't there so it, it's, we can learn from both generations a lot. Yeah. The technology is carrying us to a, to a new place today where productivity can go leaps and bounds. You see it in plasma, you see it in cobots, you see it in my ruffian. There's, there's a lot of productivity gains that we can explore just based off of technology advances. So that's what I'm saying today. It's, it's, and I see that throughout the show. Every show I go to, I wind up seeing guys that are come up to me and I go, man, my, my, I need to upgrade my plasma. Really? What do you got? They'll name off some plasmas, like no, no lie, 20 years old, you know? So, uh, it's the longevity was there in the past, but then they cut with the new product, right? They're like, dude, I, my, my, this is different. oh my gosh, this, it's different. For and sure. if we talk why it is, it's arc density. I'm managing electricity so much better now coming from the plasma, actually from the wall, right? So wall power to the plasma, transforming that, and then applying that power all the way through the consumables. The arc density is way sharper. 
way more intense. You see it in the brightness of the arc, yes. right? So if you fire off a plasma from 20 years ago and then fire off today's plasma, it's like, ooh, whoa, what's going on there? Night and day. Right? Night and day. Huh. Night and day. It's... And then you see it in the cut quality, right? And the cut quality, yeah. Right. So yeah. less draw, sharper cut, sharper top and bottom edge. All of that results in faster cut speed, which again goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is less heat input into the material. And just more productivity. Like yep. it, it all huge. Just all buzzword all working together, you know. <laughs> I mentioned Cobot too. We're incorporating the new plasmas. I put a CNC uh, yeah. port on the front of it. So I don't know if you saw it or not, but on, on the, the 50 Dan, and 70. Dan was telling me about yep. it. He was CPC like, port on the front, baby. So I now was it's, like, how? I was like, how is a plasma torch on the Cobot? You yeah, know? so but, I, we need start-stop machine motion. And then I added torch height control as well. And so I talked to our Cobot team. They're managing height control through the arm of the robot. It's amazing, right? So they're taking the arc voltage, the arc that comes off the front of the tip. That's a measured known arc voltage. Well, now I can respond to that with the height off the surface of the material. And if that already knows the cut path, it can respond in the vertical direction through all six axes. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy. It's just doing this podcast is great because yeah. I learned Every time, every yeah, conversation. You're getting, you're getting exposed to a lot get, doing this. Dude, people people ask me questions about stuff. I'm like, yeah, I could tell you about that because I've talked about it with like four different people. That's awesome. I might not be able to like practical yeah. knowledge, you know, of like being able to go and do the greatest weld or go and do the, yep. the best cut, you know, it's like, but I understand the theory. You understand the it, theories. So. That helps. That helps a lot. Back to the cobot again, the ability in industrial robots too to do offline programming. We have a software company called Octopus. You can do offline programming now of robots, which is crazy. So that means you're taking digital drawings, applying digital weld paths all offline, and then telling the robot what to do. That just saved you a huge amount of time. Yeah. That was not the case years ago. So now you fast forward to Cobot and the fact that we can push a button and teach it just holding it like on I, my phone. Too. Right, yeah, on it's your phone. Like, what the hell, man? Right, <laughs> on your like, phone, on your phone. It's, I, the first time I tried it, I was able to do a pro part. I, that's, that's unheard of. I've worked with robots for 20 years. First robot I worked with, dude, I worked with it three days before we did anything. Damn. Three full days. And then we push go. No lie. Two hours later, the uh, the hoses and everything got all tangled up, mangled, psh, coolant leaking everywhere because we didn't know. We didn't think about management, lead management. And you see it on all the modern robots. You see it on our modern cobot. You see the lead management and the flexibility of the hoses for the welder. It's got freedom to move. You're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Well, 20 years, I didn't think about it. I think about it now. Yeah. Right. But it, that was my bad experience 20 years ago. Ever since then, I've paid attention to it, but I don't have the fixturing that they've got in today's modern robot. It's awesome. Yeah. You just install it, boom, slide it through those rings. Dude, it good works. Good to go. Good to go. And I didn't, and no damage is getting caused. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, I've, I've talked to Dan a lot about yeah. these cobots and man, I, I'm excited <laughs> yeah. one day to have something like that. Absolutely. You know, the co-working bot. Like that's... We, we keep teasing everybody on the team. He's probably tired of hearing this, but everybody teases like, hey, you can drop one of those off in my garage. I'm sure I can find reasons yeah. to use that thing. Yeah, I, can, yeah. I can do demonstrations from a garage. Yeah, sure. I'll sure, just Chris. teach it some tricks. Exactly. You know? It's like, <laughs> I'll teach it how to juggle. Who knows? There you, know? you go. There you go. <laughs> well, so, I appreciate you sitting down and chat, man. I mean, yeah. I've learned a lot. 
just already in this, yeah. but I want to come see him too. Absolutely. So. Come over to the booth. We'll do some cutting. Sweet. I appreciate it. Thanks for my t- Thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it. No, thank you. You. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thanks, Bo. Yeah. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. And thank you, John and Chris, for sitting down with me. It was a great chat, and I hope to make it up to see those filler medals being made one day. I also want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Donaldson and Lincoln Electric, for making the show possible and helping us all learn more about the different pathways available in the welding industry. If you have a topic you'd like me to cover or you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at bowweld.com or just shoot me a message on the Weld app at bowdidit. Speaking of the app, if you have a project or a job that you're working on and need help with what settings you should be running your filler metals at, check out our welding calculator to get pointed in the right direction and dial in your machine quicker. Until next week, we'll see you out there.